you ever hit a rough patch in your life where you questioned God? Maybe you asked Him, what are you doing? How can you let this happen? Maybe you even doubted Him in one of those dark moments. Well, today I'm going to introduce you to a woman who trusts God so completely, her life motto can be summed up in three words, God is faithful. You'll want to listen in and find encouragement for your soul. I'm Jen Wolfe, and this is Flight Follow. Jean Wunsch has been an MAF missionary for four decades. She and her husband Dave, an MAF pilot, have lived all over the world. I have a lifelong fear of heights. Being the wife of an MAF pilot, the irony of her statement is not lost on her. Since high altitudes come with the territory when you're with MAF. (laughs) But that's okay. God's got his sense of humor. Jean and Dave and their two small children, Carl, three, and Karen, nine months, arrived to their first assignment with MAF on the island of New Guinea to what was then called Irian Jaya. Today it's known as Papua, Indonesia. In 76, so that was a long time ago. After a few months of language study in Java and a few months in Sentani, they moved to the remote village of Bokandini in the Balim Valley, home to the indigenous Dani people. It was only accessible by airplane. So if Jean needed to do any shopping, she'd have to fly an hour out to Sentani. An hour was about the length of time I could be in the back of a small airplane and not throw up. (laughs) Bokandini was a small village of around 500 people. It was just Donnie huts. You know, they would slice the trees and that would be the walls and then they'd have a thatch roof and they'd have a fire in there to keep warm and they'd cook. I mean, they were very primitive. They didn't wear clothes when we first got there, they just, the men would wear a penis gourd and the women would wear a little grass skirt and that was it. They'd put pig grease on to stay warm. Things were somewhat primitive at Jean's home too. A wood-burning stove, a kerosene fridge, no freezer, no hot water. They had to learn how to butcher pigs for meat. And on top of that, they arrived in the middle of a war. The Indonesian government was running bombing strafing runs down the Balim Valley. It's pretty scary. We would bring in the mail from Santani, and then I would put it in the boxes for the people in Bokandini to come and access their mail. And one day a soldier pulled his gun on me and demanded the mail bag, and you know what? I gave it to him. <laughs> so, and it was a pretty rugged start. All the Donnie's homes had been burned and they had run into the, into the bush. When they came back, they camped around our house, but of course there were no sanitary facilities, and it was pretty challenging. I remember walking down to the airstrip, because we were in the furthest house up the hill, walking down to the airstrip with my two little ones, and looking down at Karen, and her whole face was covered with flies, and I'd have to push them off because they wouldn't fly away. There were many challenges that term. I came down with hepatitis. I came down with multiple other sicknesses. And I can remember just looking up and saying, Lord, I don't think I can do this. And with God's grace, she pressed on and found many different ways to serve. One way was through flight following, which kept her close to the radio all day. She says they had a big dog, Sergeant, who was part German Shepherd. Sergeant would accompany her kids down the valley where there were other children to play with at the mission station. And there was no one going to touch my kids with Sergeant there because they, they were all scared of him. <laughs> so I felt safe because I had to stay by the radio. If my husband was flying, I couldn't leave. 
when your husband takes off, he calls that he's what his destination is and he's taking off. And then he gives you reports as he goes along. And then when he's on short final, he tells you. And when he's on the ground, he tells you. And you have to keep records of all of that. But I felt very much a part of his ministry. And that was nice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just him. It was me, too. Jean remembers hearing a couple of close calls while she was tracking Dave's flights. Dave has 10,000 accident-free flight hours. But there were a few scary flight minutes that Jean will never forget. In one case, he took off from Mapanduma, and the airstrip closed behind him. And he couldn't, he couldn't get out of there. And so finally, he just found a river, and he just flew up and down to burn off the fuel, and he was going to land it on the riverbank. An airstrip closing behind him means that the clouds moved in and boxed him in. She explains that it's always been a rule for the pilots that you don't fly into the clouds. In Papua, that's especially important, because if you're in the clouds, you can't see where the mountaintops are. And back then, pilots didn't have GPS and some of the tools they have now. Thankfully, another MEF pilot, who's also been featured in an episode of Flight Follow, John Miller, radioed Dave and told him where it was safe to punch through the clouds. The only reason he was able to do that is because he knew exactly where he was headed, and he knew the South Coast didn't have any mountains. It was flat swampland. And so when John Miller told him, the sun is shining, it's just a, a little bare, uh, just a few clouds in your way. You can punch through it safely. He did. Most times you just do not. You either turn around and go back, but he had nowhere to go to, and he was going to run out of fuel. It was his only option to get out, and John was telling him, it's clear ahead, it's just a little bit. And so he made it there safely and got home later that day. But I'm standing by the radio thinking, oh no. The other incident was when Dave took off from Pitt River. The airstrip is on a cliff with rocks below. Over the radio, Jean heard the dreaded words, engine failure. She called the Wamana base, and they got the helicopter ready to go pick up the pieces. And then she waited a few agonizing minutes to hear Dave's voice again. Dave was busy employing something called the Emergency Fuel System, or EFS. Finally, she heard, PKMCC landing Tiam. But he went to do the EFS, which was a security thing that MAF had where it put your throttle at full bore. And he came around and he circled over Tiom, but he couldn't throttle it down. So he waited till he was lined up on the runway, and then he had to cut the engine and land. It was called a dead stick landing. And he had a missionary family on board, and they didn't even realize that anything had happened because he switched to the EFS as soon as the engine failed, and then they didn't realize it till he cut the engine that there was a a really scary thing happening. (laughs) And I'm standing by the radio listening to this and thinking, oh my, protect him, Lord. And he did. And Dave kept his cool. He did, (laughs) yeah. MAF trains these guys really well. Along with the flight following, Jean took care of hospitality for visiting missionaries, and those who were stranded there because of weather. We had several MAF homes there at Bocandini, and so I created guest houses because it was in the mountains and it was cooler temperatures, and that way missionaries could come and stay for a week in the cool temperatures. And the Donnies grew coffee, so I would buy their green coffee beans and roast them in my wood-burning stove and then grind it up and give them actual coffee because at that point in time it was not available in Indonesia. You could buy the powder, 
but that tasted awful and you had all this sludge at the bottom of your cup. So to give them actually a percolator and coffee beans was a real treat. And so that was one little thing I could do for them. And we would buy vegetables and send them to the different stations that couldn't get vegetables. And my husband would bring in what they called standing order, SO. It would be meat and eggs and things like that that we couldn't get interior. And then I would make sure they got on the plane with the mailbag to the different mission stations that my husband would serve. Living in such a remote village without modern conveniences meant that Jean had to stock up on provisions. And I had to have food on hand at all times to feed an unknown amount of people. Because if the caravan was en route to Carabaga, there's a pass there. And if it's closed, they're landing at Bocandini, which could be for a meal. It could be for an overnight. It could be for whatever. And so I would have recipes that I could make a really good meal from tuna fish. I'd do a tuna fish pie. We didn't have a freezer. And so we had a kerosene fridge and a wood-burning stove. And so you just had to always plan ahead and you had to have case lots of food in your, in your pantry. We had a 55-gallon drum behind our kitchen where the stove was, and we had a coil in our firebox, and that heated enough water that we could have warm water for showers because it got cold in the mountains at night, and there was no heating in the house, and there was no hot water. So then we had this drum that would just go to our shower. We had to boil our water. So, yeah, it was, it was like the old days. Yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, I guess the wood-burning stove didn't didn't phase me at all because that's what I'd grown up with. But Jean did go back and continue to serve with her husband. After spending their second term on loan to MAF Australia in Papua New Guinea, they returned to Irian Jaya and were placed in Sentani on the coast. Coming up next, we'll hear about Jean's menagerie of baby animals, how she learned to kill snakes, and some hard and sweet times growing up as a missionary kid. Can you imagine teaching MAF children overseas in a location you may need to look up on Google because you never heard of it? One of the many ways MAF supports our missionary families is by providing teachers to help with the education of MAF children. We want our missionary kids to have a strong education even if they're living in out-of-the-way places as their family serves isolated people. We look for teachers who have a strong walk of faith along with classroom teaching experience and teaching credentials. They will not only be teaching academic subjects and knowledge, but also be mentors and role models for the children they teach. To learn more about these exciting opportunities, you can call MAF at 208-498-0800 or go to maf.org serve to learn more. Jean's younger years served as a training ground for the life she would lead with MAF. Her childhood influenced her decision to become a missionary. I knew because of the, the peace and the joy that I saw in my parents' lives, I knew I wanted to be a missionary too. Because, I mean, they had their two, three daughters at one point in America, and they were far away from family, and it was a challenging environment, but they were just so joyful in what they did that I wanted to do it too. Jean's parents were missionaries in Chad which was French Equatorial Africa at the time. They served with Christian missions in many lands and did everything pioneer missionaries typically did, like learning the Mbai language, translating the New Testament, and a partial Old Testament. I was born in a little village of Mysilla. I was the youngest of seven kids. 
And I was just born in the guest room <laughs> without a doctor because there weren't any in those days out there except a French doctor, but they weren't close to where we lived. And my two oldest sisters left home when I was six weeks old to go to boarding school and then back to America for high school. So you lived pretty remotely then as a child. Yes, too. and about half the year the roads would all be closed because of the rainy season. They would put they would put barricades on the roads and you couldn't go anywhere. So we were cut off a lot of the time. Oh, no MAF back then. No MAF back then. <laughs> They're in northern Chad now, but um, they weren't for many years. No modern conveniences, no doctors or schools nearby. Being missionaries here definitely wasn't for the faint of heart. My parents lost two children in Chad. John died at birth and there was no doctor, so they didn't know why. And Mary died of meningitis. They were coming back from furlough and she got ill. And when they got home, she just crawled up in bed and died. Mm -hmm. My mom did medical work. She had, she didn't have training in that, but she, I mean, even us as kids would take care of the tropical ulcers on our friends' legs and bind them up and give them medicine. She did sewing lessons. She did um, reading lessons. So you do everything. My dad built our house with bricks that he burned himself. He built our furniture with mahogany trees that he cut down. Uh, we had a well. We didn't actually have a flush toilet for many, many years. We had an outhouse. And when you get up at night and have to go to the bathroom, you take a flashlight and you take a long stick and you push the door of the outhouse open to make sure there's no snake on top. <laughs> Because the snakes were a big issue there, and there really wasn't anything we could do. If someone got bit, you were probably going to die. Mm -hmm. So we had to be really careful. And when I was just a little girl, I think I was four years old, my dad took me out and taught me how to kill a snake so that we'd know what to do if we ran into one. <laughs> While her brother had a BB gun in his own canoe, he could go off and hunt and fish. But as a girl, Jean had more restrictions. I wasn't allowed to go into the villages alone, and I couldn't run off with my friends because girls don't play. They take care of their younger brothers and sisters, or they pound grain for their mom, but they don't play. And so I did play on the soccer team with the boys. I was the only girl. <laughs> and I had my animals, and they, those were my best friends, really. Even with the restrictions and seeing the hard things her parents had to face, Jean still has fond memories of her time here. I had a lot of fun because I would get a lot of the little baby animals when the, when the natives would uh, shoot an animal. If it had a baby, they would bring it to me and I would raise it. So I had antelope and monkeys and mongoose and Jeanettes and jackals and hedgehogs and <laughs> you name it. So I had my own little menagerie zoo. All the other missionaries called it my zoo. And then we raised our, a lot of our own food. So we had goats and sheep and ducks and chickens and, and all of that that, I, that we all took care of. I had guinea pigs and rabbits and fun things like that, which brought about some challenging moments, like when a python went after one of our uh, antelope. Uh, we had to get some of our friends to come, and they were able to stab it with a spear and then chop off its head with an ax. But it was a 12-foot-long python. Overall, it was a it was a fun growing up. 
in Chad. We would take a dugout canoe when it was full moon, and we would go way upriver away from any villages, and then we could actually swim in the water because there were a lot of diseases around the villages, like Bilharzia and, and all kinds of things, and without much medical help and no MAF to fly us out. Um, my folks were pretty protective, but we would go to the beach and mom would bake uh, hot dog buns and we would have canned hot dogs, which are pretty awful, but we thought it was fun. And mom would make ketchup from scratch and we would have a little hot dog cookout on the beach. And then we'd come home in the moonlight and we would sing all the way home. So it was a happy memories. This rugged and yet simple way of living in the somewhat exotic land of Chad was about to end and Jean would discover another land that was no less wild or difficult. Just because you may not be in a position to donate money, you can still support MAF in other ways. Partnering financially doesn't always mean writing a check or enabling a monthly withdrawal. There are creative ways you can give today while still preserving your assets for retirement and providing for your family. Charitable gifts can take many forms. You can list MAF on beneficiary designation forms for a retirement plan life insurance, or a similar type of account. You can donate appreciated stocks, real estate, cars, or jewelry. It might come by donating business interests, such as closely held stock or partnerships. These are all different ways that you can come alongside MEF as we reach out to the isolated in the Lord's name. To learn more about these types of charitable gifts and how you can help further MEF's mission, visit mefplangiving.org. When she was 13, Jean left behind everything that was familiar to her in Chad and moved to the U.S., to Illinois, and lived with her two older sisters. That was in 1963, which is when President Kennedy was assassinated. They had the Democratic Convention. All the civil rights rioting was going on. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what country have I come to? <laughs> this is supposed to be civilized? Huh. It was very frightening for me. I went to eighth grade the first day, and the teacher had me stand up and said, Hello, class, this is Jeannie Rogers, and she's from Africa. And I was so humiliated. <laughs> I felt like I was going to stand out, and it was very frightening. I had never climbed stairs. And our eighth grade school had three floors, and I had art every Friday, and I would have to climb those stairs. And Chad is flat. Mm -hmm. anthills are the highest elevation we've got there. And I would just absolutely shake in fear and hang on to the railing to go up those stairs. It was quite a rough transition for me, mm -hmm. but we made it. In her late teens and early 20s, she encountered some heartrending losses that shaped her faith for the course of her adult life. Illnesses also plagued her, both on the mission field and in the U.S., but through these trials, Jean learned to trust God's faithfulness. It's been a lot of loss in my life. And I think the first one was when my sister Lily, who was four years older than me, and she was killed in a car accident at Christmas time, coming back from a Messiah concert where somebody ran a stop sign, and that was before seatbelts. Mm -hmm. And she was thrown out of the car. And so she was in the hospital on life support, but there was no chance that she would survive. Jean's mom was living with her and her brother in the U.S. at the time, and her dad was still working in Chad. So mom sent him a telegram and said, Lily fatally injured, critically injured. And 
he left immediately and started home, but he couldn't tell us. So we didn't even know if he'd received the telegram until he called us from Paris to say he was coming home. So they kept her alive until Dad got back home, and then we buried her the day before Christmas. And that was really hard because I had always thought, you know, if Lily can make it, I can. And to lose her was really hard. But then Dad went back to Chad because he was working on a partial Old Testament translation. After Jean finished high school, she went back to Chad with her mom to help her have a sense of closure and see her husband's grave. Her mom was planning to stay on, and so Jean decided to clean up her dad's orchards, which had been neglected. While there, she came down with strep throat, and it turned into rheumatic fever. And I was on bed rest with daily penicillin shots from September to January. And finally, the mission doctor that had been seeing me said, you've got to go back to America and get proper treatment or you're going to be an invalid for life. So I was 17 years old. I got my passport, took my passport, said, Mom, I'll go home. You stay here. If I need you, I'll send a telegram. (laughs) And so I went home and the Brethren Mission Group had two hospitals in Chicago, so they admitted me to the hospital and did a complete cardiac workup because I had had toxic heart murmurs moving around in my heart. That's why he was worried about the permanent damage. And the next day, the doctor came back into my room, and he had this big smile on his face, and he says, young lady, you're healthy enough to be a female astronaut. (laughs) He said, there is no trace you've even been sick. So this is January in Chicago, and I'm thinking, what do I do now? Jean applied mid-semester and was accepted to Emmaus Bible School in Oak Park, Illinois, where she did a year of Bible school. She often helped out at the home of Helen Flint, the wife of one of the professors who threw a monthly birthday party for students who were celebrating birthdays. Dave lived with the Flints while he attended Chicago State University, and that is how Jean first met Dave. After I finished the year, my mom came back from Chad because she found her ministry wasn't the same without dad. She couldn't do the same things. So she came back and we moved back into our home in Park Ridge, which dad had bought the furlough before he passed away. Jean's mother invited a missionary to dinner whom she knew from Chad and who was in town for a conference. This man had been to Papua New Guinea at some point and met Dave, who grew up there as a missionary kid. So Dave got invited to this dinner as well. And we just had such a good time talking. Because we were both MKs, we'd grown up in remote settings, total different part of the world, but we had so much in common that he called me the next day and asked me out for a date, and that's when we started dating. But in between our dating, I ended up going to France to work in an orphanage for a year. He always says I ran away from him. (laughs) But when I came back, uh, we got engaged and we were married that August. Shortly after they were married, Jean experienced another deep loss. My mom came over to the house for supper, and when she was leaving, her car was hit by a train. We lived in a little shack on the wrong side of the railroad tracks in the midst of a farmer's field, and it was a private crossing. The conductor was blowing his horn, so they don't know if her car stalled or... We don't know what happened, but she was killed. And I can remember being at the house where my brother was down in the basement and we were talking. And as I came upstairs, I just stopped on the stairs and I said, Lord, I don't understand this and I don't like it, but I will choose to trust you. 
And that was a benchmark throughout the rest of my life. It has always been that I go back to that and say, Lord, I will still choose to trust you. With one of the things that my life has been full of has been illness. The Lord has used that to build my trust in Him and to kind of set me down until I'm forced to raise my eyes and listen. Once she met and married Dave, the path to MAF was clear, and Jean was aware of it from the start. I always knew that Dave wanted to be an MAF pilot, and he had grown up in Papua New Guinea, and Max Myers, who was from Australian MAF, had given him his first flight lessons as a young kid there in uh, New Guinea, and so his, his goal was always to be an MAF pilot, and I knew that. That was fine with me. I knew I wanted to be a missionary, but I didn't have a calling to a particular country or a particular ministry, so my calling was to be a support to my husband. Jean and Dave actually ended up spending their second term on loan to MAF Australia in Papua New Guinea. A term with MAF typically means three and a half years of field work. Then families returned to the U.S. for a six-month furlough. They were blessed with a lot of special memories here. Our term in Papua New Guinea was really special because I got involved in a lot of different things. I was part of an international ladies' Bible study. I was able to teach religion at the international school. It was a one-family base in Medang. We lived right on the ocean, and that's where my husband started scuba diving. We actually were able to, to buy a boat with an outboard motor, and we'd take the kids out to the islands, take visitors out to the island. We taught a lot of missionary kids how to water ski. So there was just a lot of special things about that. And Dave's parents were still there as missionaries. So our kids got to know who their grandparents were, which not very many MKs could do in those days because you just didn't go back and forth. You went out for a term. You were there for a term. You didn't see family. You didn't have Facebook and you didn't have email. For their next term with MAF, Jean and Dave returned to Irian Jaya, or Papua as it's known today. They were assigned to MAF's main base, Santani, when Dave was asked to be the program manager. But just after Dave took on this new role, Jean had another physical setback. We were doing base visits to spend time with all of our families, and we were in Nabire talking with an Indonesian couple. Mercurius was a pilot, an MAF Indonesian pilot. And I started getting really uncomfortable, and finally I said, Dave, I'm going to have to go lay down. And so I went to the bedroom and laid down, and my disc ruptured and I couldn't walk, and I couldn't sit. She was in terrible pain with back spasms and spent three weeks lying on a board in her living room while she waited for permission to leave the country. She couldn't just leave. Because then you lose your visa and you can't come back. It takes time to get through the red tape to get an exit reentry permit, which you pay for. And if you leave, you have to start the whole visa process over, and that could take months and months and months. With Dave as the new program manager, it could have really set things back for the team. They made plans for surgery in Singapore and then finally got the okay to go. Dave had to go find a doctor to sign off that I could leave the country. And Dave was 
doing that, running around trying to find this doctor, and I'm laying in the back of an ambulance waiting to be taken out to the airplane to go to Singapore. And all these Indonesians, of course, this is Indonesia, they all clustered around the plane, uh, around the ambulance, they're staring at me. So I just laid real still in the back and pretended I was dead because <laughs> I didn't want to look at anyone. So they got me on the plane, we flew to Singapore, they put me in the hospital, and Dr. Lee did back surgery on me. It was almost Christmas by the time I left. It was about seven weeks, because I had to learn to walk again. And for him to be gone right when he was putting his team together for seven weeks was amazing. But he still says that it made him a better program manager because he realized this was God's program, not his. It changed his view. You know how when your new manager stepping in, you think you're gonna change the world. While we all know it is important to have an estate plan in place for the future, statistics reveal that approximately 70% of Americans do not have a will or trust. What would your loved ones do if you were not there? MEF makes it easy for you to create or update your plans with a confidential estate planning guide and a chance to work with an estate planning consultant at no cost to you. Let us help you to ensure your plans benefit you, your family, your preferred charities, and most importantly, honors the Lord. Contact MEF for your free guide today at 1-800-261-7280 or visit mefplangiving.org 1-800-261-7280 or mefplangiving.org. Jean and Dave moved back to the U.S. in 1993. At that time, MEF had its headquarters in Redlands, California. Dave was asked to be the regional director for Indonesia and Jean took on a new role as a ministry partnership coach, working with the new MAF staff to grow their support teams and prepare for the field. Then, in 1998, Jean underwent another back surgery. And it was experimental, but I qualified for it, and they put a titanium disc in my back, and I was pain-free, and I was able to jump off a scuba diving boat with a tank on my back six months later, which was a miracle, and I've never had any pain. So I tell my husband I'm an iron woman. <laughs> she learned how to scuba dive, and she and Dave were able to enjoy diving together in the Florida Keys, where Jean's sister had a condo. And the sea is so beautiful under there. The colors are amazing. And God created this whole gorgeous beauty for hardly anyone to see. It's amazing. But I love it. I find it interesting that you are afraid of heights, but then you go down deep in the water. Oh, yeah. It took me a while. Like I said, I, it was a little hard for me to do, but I really wanted to do it. Jean and Dave enjoyed their scuba diving trips to Florida twice a year, and Jean continued to grow in her role as a ministry partnership coach. I considered it an incredible privilege, and I loved encouraging people that God will do it. We can't. Nobody can do it. You can't raise your own support, mm -hmm. but God can. And if they'll trust him, he'll do it. In his time, when he knows you're ready, it'll be there. I loved being a coach, and I loved coming alongside and helping train other coaches. And I wrote a coach manual and thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to invest in these young families, mm -hmm. to encourage them and to love them, to tell them that God's there. Learning to scuba dive, growing into her role as a coach to MAF missionaries, and just when Jean's life seems to be sailing along, another illness hits her. 
This time it's breast cancer, and it's around the same time that they've relocated to Ida with MAF in 2006. She's weak and left with chemo brain for a few years. We had just moved here. We didn't know anybody in our neighborhood. We didn't have a church. We didn't know anyone except MAF. And I would just sit there in the chair, and I'd have my Bible study on the floor next to me, and I would have music that I could play, and I would just sit there because I was too weak to do anything else. And in those days and hours, I just could really hear God's voice, and it was it was precious. And I wouldn't have the level of trust and deep confidence in God because in and of myself, I'm just a weak person. But I have such a strong God that I can just know that he'll be there no matter what. That's been how I found that if God puts you through hard things, they can't touch you unless they go through him first. And therefore, it's for your good and for his glory. And so he's allowed me to, to walk through a lot of things. Jean says that her loss of loved ones and her many illnesses enable her to encourage other people who are hurting. She can share with them how God has been faithful in her life. And she's also developed an uncanny ability. It gives you an amazing ability to come alongside people who are suffering and to be able to understand what they're feeling and to comfort them. I can, I can almost sense when someone has cancer. A few years ago, Jean discovered that her intestine had been compromised during one of her back surgeries, and it had been leaking poisons into her. Her body had encapsulated it. She had a hernia and a bowel obstruction, and it was like a lethal bomb inside her body. The surgeon told her, I'm going to have to do an incision because it can't rupture, or you will die. And Jean told him, That's okay, doctor. I'm never going to wear a bikini anyway. <laughs> So I was in the hospital for over a week with a raging fever, but I didn't die, obviously. And then I was home for seven weeks recovering before I came back to work. Going forward, it's in the Lord's hands. There's nothing they can do to prevent it because of the scar tissue, because that area was so compromised that it just developed a lot of scar tissue. But I still know that God is faithful and nothing can touch me that doesn't go through him. And that's a confidence, I think, as children of God, we all need to have. Throughout her illnesses, Jean's confidence in God hasn't wavered. She's been able to pass that confidence along to the other MAF missionaries who have been under her care. She understands the difficulties they're going to face and reassures them. Living overseas isn't easy. And there's challenges you don't even see coming until you're there. Mm -hmm. And it's just knowing that God is always there and he is always faithful. Again, nothing can touch you that doesn't first go through God and his love for you. So you, as long as you can keep that perspective, it's okay, because he's got you. When she retired in December 2016, her team gave her a picture of Garibaldi fish swimming in the California kelp forest. And over the picture was a favorite poem that she often shared with the MEF missionaries she coached. I found a poem many years ago. It's called Step by Step, and it's taken from the Hebrew translation of Proverbs 4.12 that says, As thou goest, step by step, I will open up the way before thee. Child of my love, fear not the unknown morrow. Dread not the new demand life makes of thee. Thy ignorance doth hold no cause for sorrow. 
since what thou knowest not is known to me. Thou canst not see today the hidden meaning of my command, but thou the light shall gain. Walk on in faith upon my promise leaning, and as thou goest, all will be made plain. One step thou seest, then go forward boldly. One step is far enough for faith to see. Take that, and thy next duty shall be told thee, for step by step thy Lord is leading thee. Stand not in fear, thy adversaries counting. Dare every peril save to disobey. Thou shalt march on, all obstacles surmounting, for I the strong will open up the way. Therefore go gladly to the task assigned thee, having my promise needing nothing more than just to know where'er the future finds thee. In all thy journeying I go before. And I use that at every single closing of the MP seminars I led because going out and raising support can be really scary and look insurmountable. But the Lord will go before you and he will provide. May you discover that God is faithful in your own life, whether in good times or bad. As Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I hope you've been encouraged today. Flight Follow is a production of Mission Aviation Fellowship, where we use aviation to bring the love of Jesus Christ to isolated people around the world. To learn more about this unique ministry, visit maf.org, where you'll find the latest news and stories from our programs around the world, read updates from our missionaries, and learn about job and volunteer opportunities. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And look for our podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you to Jean Wunsch for sharing her stories with us and to the awesome team that brings these episodes together. Tracy Worry, Director of Marketing and Communication, Chris Burgess, our Communication and Media Manager, and our Editor, Paul O'Brien. You've been listening to Flight Follow. Until next time, this is Jen Wolf, signing clear. <laughs>